the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But what's the process of this repentance? This is, this is a repentant, humble spirit. Repentance means a change of mind. It means realizing that I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not as uh, strong as I thought I was. See, that's where the conflicts arise, thinking we're great, thinking we're number one, thinking we ought to get ahead. So the first step is realizing we're nothing. And we need to humble ourselves and recognize that I need God's strength. It's repentance. Have you ever seen a turtle on top of a fence post? Hmm, me neither. But imagine if you did. How did it get there? Well, it sure didn't get there on its own, did it? Someone put it there. Perhaps that's a healthy way of looking at ourselves. Wherever we are in life, no matter how hard we work at it, we are there by the grace and with the help of God. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will be concluding our series of lessons from the book of James. James begins the last chapter by asking us, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And then he not only tells us the source, but he gives us a solution to our problem. When we act and think like the world around us, rather than the way Christ would have us behave, we're doing exactly what Satan wants us to do. He's doing his happy dance while we push and shove and argue and try to get our way because... While we wallow in those worldly attitudes, we are damaging our own testimony and the reputation of the gospel. Not only that, James wrote in verse 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow, that's pretty direct, isn't it? If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 4. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. You see, worldliness is an attitude that could develop into an action, but primarily it's an attitude. When a person becomes a Christian, he loses the right to own himself. This is the heart of what James is saying, and this is the heart of what we want to focus on. When a person becomes a Christian, when you and I came to know Christ, we lost all rights to ownership. Peter says that you were not redeemed with with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things, the precious blood of Christ. You were bought by that. You were redeemed. You were, you were taken out of the marketplace of sin. You were bought by Christ. That blood was paid for you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. You were bought with a price, as we said this morning. Therefore, glorify God. You're not your own. And you and I cannot embrace the world system and God's ways. It's impossible And that's what James is saying. When you have a divided mind, when you have that war within yourself, you want the world system, but you want God's ways, you must either go one way or another, or else you're unstable, you're mixed up, you're confused, and you're going to have all kinds of problems. And unfortunately, that is the mold and the setting of most Christians' lives. And that's why most churches are not healthy, because they're very worldly. They want the best of the world, self 
which is really all the world has to offer, and they want God's ways, and you cannot mix the two, and that is worldliness. Remember what Elijah said? Just sharing this with someone, a friend of mine recently. Elijah was facing the Jewish people. There were 400 prophets of Baal, and there was one Elijah, one of God's prophets, and he says, why halt ye between two opinions? Make up your mind. If Baal be your God, then follow him and stop fooling around. Don't go on the Lord's side and then on Baal's side. If you believe Baal to be God, then go his way. And if Jehovah be God, then go his way. But don't, don't try to live both lives because you can't. That is what we call a carnal Christian. And he's miserable. He's fighting against God. He's fighting God's people. And he's miserable. We all know people like that. I know a dear brother who is fighting within himself. And he thinks it's just him that he's fighting, but he's fighting other Christians and he's fighting God himself because it's hostility to God to be a friend to the world. Remember Joshua? Joshua said, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. If the Lord be God, then serve him. But as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. He said, you do what you want, but make a choice as for Myself and my family, we're going God's way. That's really the heart of the whole thing. Either God's way and, di- and dying to self or self's way and denouncing the Christian faith. But you can't play games or else you'd be miserable. Then verse 5, we're faced with that. It is a difficult verse to translate. And I'm not sure what the exact translation should be. So I'm going to tell you the options. He says this, I'll read it from the New American Standard and then explain it. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Very difficult to translate. And there are a number of different interpretations based upon how a person translates it. Basically, as I see it, the two best translations are either this, God yearns for the devotion of our human spirits, which he has made to dwell in us. You see, in the Greek... Uh, There are no capitals in the Greek New Testament. And so we don't know for sure if it's Holy Spirit or if it's human spirit. But I'm going to tell you a, a key to this. Or, so let me repeat this. God yearns for the devotion of our human spirits, which he has made to dwell in us. You see, man is the only creature who has a human spirit that can worship God. That's why we're different from animals. Or the Holy Spirit who dwells in us yearns for our full devotion. Either way you want to take it, it comes out to the same meaning. The meaning is basically the same when it means this, total allegiance to God. God is a jealous God. And whether he means there Holy Spirit or the spirit which which, uh, dwells within us, it really basically comes out the same. The totality of Scripture points to this, that we ought to have a total allegiance to God. What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's what the scripture says. God is out to glorify himself, and he glorifies himself by people, his people, honoring him and obeying him. And God is a jealous God. Did you know that? God is jealous, and he's the only one who ought to be jealous for himself because he's the only one worthy of this. And he loves us with such a passion that he can't stand to be in competition with anything else. 
God must be first. He says in, in Exodus 34, 14, you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. God's name is jealous. Now, it's a divine jealousy. It's a pure jealousy. It isn't a, a jealousy on a human level. God is a God who passionately loves us and cannot stand for any competition in our love. He must have total allegiance or else we're worldly. And that's a symptom of war. Whenever there's church war, it means, except for the areas of doctrinal purity and righteous living, it means whenever there's war that there is carnality there and it is a symptom and it shows worldliness. But what's the solution? Wars begin in our midst, in our home, with our friends, with our family, with our businesses. Wars begin because of our our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our egos. The symptoms are worldliness, a discontented heart, and all the other things that we went over, our prayer life, uh, selfish motives, but the solution. That's the real key. And God has given us some very clear principles on how to stop the war. If the world realized this, there would never be another conflict. Let's look at verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what the first step is in resolving the conflicts? Recognize that God gives us greater grace, that is a greater strength to be totally committed to him than the pull of our selfish desires. There is a greater strength within you to live for God than there is a pull by your sinful, carnal desires to live for self. A greater strength pulling you to do what's right No one could ever stand before God and say, I had to go that way. I didn't have the power to do this. God says, you certainly did. You didn't avail of it. You didn't appropriate it. The proud, he says, are those who are stuck on themselves, living for self only. God resists them. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Repentant, humble spirit receives grace. To live for God. So the first key and the first principle is humility. It's a humble spirit. It's recognizing that I need the grace of God. It's recognizing that in my own strength, I can't do it. But God has given me the strength and I'll rely upon his strength and his grace. And the strength that he gives through the reading of the word, through spending time in prayer, through fellowship with other Christians. He's given me all I need. And the spirit of God who dwells in me. So the first step is a humble spirit to receive that. A person who recognizes he's nothing and needs God's help to have victory over self will have it. But what's the process of this repentance? This is, this is a repentant, humble spirit. Repentance means a change of mind. It means realizing that I'm not self-sufficient. I'm not as uh, strong as I thought I was. See, that's where the conflicts arise, thinking we're great, thinking we're number one, thinking we ought to get ahead. So the first step is realizing we're nothing. And we need to humble ourselves and recognize that I need God's strength. It's repentance. In verses 7 through 10, he's going to give us the process of repentance. How do we go about receiving this grace, receiving that strength, that that humility that receives that? He's going to use a number of what we call in the Greek, aorist imperatives which means commands stressing urgency. When there's a war going on, it's no time to uh, 
to not settle it quickly. You don't have all day because people get hurt in the process. So he stresses urgency. Verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. The first step in this process is submit to God. That's the first step in humility that receives his grace. Submit and resist. Recognize the authority and the sovereignty of God. It is our responsibility to do this. God has not made us like robots. It's our responsibility to submit to him. It means to come under his authority. He's the captain, the general of the army. We submit to him and then we resist the enemy. We resist the devil. It means to, to dig in and take a stand against Satan's temptations, no matter what they, what, how they come at us. It's the same word used in Ephesians 6, having done all, stand. And he's talking about resisting the devil. Take on the whole armor of God and you stand there. Don't retreat and don't rush at the devil. You know, there's a lot of Christians who think that they have to fight the devil. And uh, you know the Bible just says take on the whole armor of God and you stand with the armor. And the only offensive weapon, you know the only weapon that's offensive that we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But other than that, don't go fighting the devil in the sense that you are charging him. He'll charge you. You don't need to charge him. I know people who talk to Satan and they, they rebuke him. And I have, as I've said before from the pulpit, I have nothing to say to him. We want the word of God to speak to him. I used to do that. I used to rebuke the devil. And, and then it just dawned on me. I don't want to talk to him. I have nothing to say. Jesus defeated him at the cross. He's given me the resources according to Ephesians 6. And I'm just going to take on the whole armor of God and stand. And then Jesus, and then Paul says, having done all, stand therefore. And the Bible says, if you stand, taking on the whole armor of God, no matter what he throws at you, you will be protected with the Lord's resources. No matter what he throws at you, the Bible says in chapter 4 of James, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He'll flee from you. Just resist him. That's God's promise to you. The problem that we have is that we don't resist him. We give in to him. We think that we have no way of fighting Satan. When you do, you take on the whole armor of God. You submit to God. You come under God's authority. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the Bible says that Satan tempted him. And then the scripture says that he left him for a season. He fled. Because the Son of God resisted the devil. Habert says this, a very fine uh, Bible scholar. He says, promised victory is based upon active resistance to the devil. An attitude of indecision and doubt when facing the devil makes him bold and aggressive in his attacks. But confronting him with a resolute will and firm confidence in God's promise unmasks him as a coward. You stand there. You don't run from the battle. You don't run into the battle. But when the dust clears, if you take on the whole armor of God, you will be standing. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. That's what James says in James chapter 4. And you know, there are many who when the dust settles, they have fallen because they never appropriated what God had. And the way we appropriate it is the first step is you submit to the authority of God. Then there's something else. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
What's he talking about? Confession of sin. This was an Old Testament way of, of saying purify yourself as, as getting uh, ready for the ceremony, for the feasts. But James uses it knowing that the Jewish Christians would understand what he meant because they were versed in the Old Testament. And what he basically says is, look, confess your sins. Get your heart right with the Lord. Confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he restores us to that joyous fellowship that we once had. He restores us. He says, notice he says that purify your hearts, you double-minded. Why are they double-minded? They wanted the world's way, fellowship with the world, and fellowship with God, and you can't have it. It's either one or the other. It's like the prodigal son, James says, you'll, you'll find the father if you confess and you purify, you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. It's like that son who will find the father and found him waiting and welcoming the son back to restore him. If you're living a worldly life, uh, maybe your hair length is, fits the, the bill of, of being uh, spiritual, but maybe in your heart you really have put self on the throne, then you're worldly and you need to confess your sin. You need to repent of that. You need to humble yourself, submit to God, resist the devil, and go on from there. And look what happens in verse 9 and 10. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. He doesn't mean the Christian life is a miserable existence. He means this is the response of a humble man or woman. It's brokenness for his sin. This isn't to be our continued existence. There is joy. But he says when you've sinned, make sure that you are broken before God. Godly repentance leads to sorrow. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, broken over sin. And then what happens? You humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. And this is the process of how to humble yourself. And he will exalt you. God will exalt you. You know what, this, what, what James has done? He has taken us from conflicts. And the conflict is trying to be exalted. And he has shown us God's way to be exalted. And the first step to be exalted is God lifts us up from being down and restores us to joyous fellowship with him. How would wars cease when men and real, women realize that God is the one who has to exalt? God is the one who put our plan into action. God is the one who will fulfill those desires, not us. And if we'll only allow him to do it in his time, in his way, then we won't have these wars. The issue is really humility. And that's really the solution to the conflict. The reason that people have conflicts is that they're not humble. They want to step over everybody to get their own way. And yet, in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, the apostle tells us, I want the mind of Christ to be in you. And the mind of Christ is this. It doesn't look on its, on its own. It, it looks out for others. Let no man look upon his own things only, but look upon the things of others. It is a spirit of sacrifice, of putting the other person first. That's the solution. Why do you have arguments in your home? Because you haven't put your spouse first. That's the spirit-filled life. Why is there arguments in a country? Obviously because the country is out for themselves and not the other country. Why are there arguments within a church? Because one person wants his way and doesn't want to look upon 
someone else's ministry or someone else's solutions or problems or their way of accomplishing what they think should be accomplished. You see, when this takes place, we will know what the psalmist meant when he said in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How does unity come? If you look at Philippians chapter 2, you'll see just before Paul says, this is the mind of Christ, he says, I want you to have unity. And the only way you have unity and the only way you avoid conflicts is putting others first. I, I trust as a church, that's the way we are, that we're so out to, to put others first that nobody could possibly start an argument with us, though they might try. They couldn't do it because we're out to have them be successful. We're out to have them walk with the Lord, and they can't start an argument with us. I have a friend who once said to me, you can never hurt me. And I, I don't think I ever realized what he meant until studying what James has to say. You can never hurt me. Why? Because this fellow knew what it meant to avoid conflicts in humility, putting others before himself. I hope that's true in your home as you try to, to put your husbands to put their wives first. Wives to put their husbands first. Parents to put their children first in the sense of wanting them to be successful. And children being spiritual and in humility, wanting to make their parents the very best parents they can possibly make them. That's the key. Humility, putting one another first. That's the only solution to wars and conflicts and quarrels. Let's pray. Father, how we ask for the reality of James chapter 4, 1 through 10 in our lives. That there might not be any conflicts here. That we might know what it is to walk in humility before you. To walk with the attitude of a pure heart. An attitude that says, I want God to be enthroned in my heart's throne. I don't want self to be in charge. Help us to live to bring glory to you. And when we do that, we will serve others. Even if we've been studying in Sunday mornings about the church at Corinth, to edify one another, to build one another up, help us to walk in humility. That's really the key of a servant's heart. That's what James is saying. And I pray you'll make that a reality, that we might know what the psalmist really meant when he said that how, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren, for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, to dwell together in unity. The world may go on bickering, churches may go on bickering, but we pray that you'll help us to be different because we're your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is impossible to overstate the value of humility. We need it in order to see our need for salvation. We need it to see when we are wrong and need to repent. And then there is the wonderful way humility smooths out our relationships. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, and this wraps up Pastor Steve Kreloff's series of lessons from the book of James. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in some Sunday if you're in the area. Pastor Steve would enjoy meeting you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For more information, call the church at 727-441-1714 or visit www.lakesidechapel.com. Today's class was the conclusion of this series from James and was also the conclusion of a sermon given over the past three broadcasts. 
We offer free CDs with the entire sermon, and you're welcome to request one or more of them if you'd like to have them at home. Call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 and ask for message 2211, Quarrels and Conflicts, or for any of the messages in this series. Another option is to stream or download the individual broadcasts at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Just click on the link to the message archive page and search for the program you want. There's no charge for these MP3 files, and we hope you'll be blessed listening to them. If you're interested in giving to help support this ministry, we make that easy and secure on the giving page at our website. If you're already part of our support base, we thank you for being part of Verse by Verse. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I'd like to close with a reminder for our blind listeners about a special offer from Aurora Ministries. The Library of Congress National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped provides a device called a talking book player for blind people. Now, if you have one of these devices, you can get a free audio Bible for your player by calling 800-838-5924 or going online to www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com or 800-838-5924. On behalf of Steve Kreloff and everyone else here at Verse by Verse, thanks for listening. I hope you can join us next time as we launch into a new series of studies. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.